So as you can see, our camp theme this year for 2015 was come to the table. Come to the table. And that is a extremely broad subject. And the two hours that Pastor Mike has allotted me for that is just not enough to cover it. <laughs> joking, joking. Not going to be here that long, I promise. <clears throat> so, when you hear the phrase, come to the table, what picture comes to mind? Table? Food? Um, family? I know a lot of my favorite dining experiences involved my family being around. In fact, we made another, another one of those memories last night. I had family in from Houston, and they were over at our house. And we cooked out, had a great time, lots of laughs. Um, another picture that could poss- come, possibly come to mind is salvation. A picture of eternity. A picture of spiritual growth. Any of those would be the right answers, an acceptable answer. Um, come to the table and see what Jesus has for you. But really, what are the what's, the who's, the when's, the where's, the why's, all that stuff about this? Um, there's so many areas we could go down. So I'm going to do kind of a collage, if you will, of the messages from camp last week, or two weeks ago, I guess, at this point. Um, trying to bring together everything we learned in one week into one message. So hopefully you got your Bibles with you. We're going to be going all over the place. Uh, but we are going to spend a lot of time in Luke. So uh, be ready for that. So the table. <clears throat> what is the table? What is the significance of the table? The table really boils down to being the centerpiece of hospitality in the old world. The table was the place where you met with your family, and the table was the place where if a stranger or a traveler came into your community, you would invite them to. Host, you were expected to provide a spot at your table for your guest. You were expected to provide water for them to drink and even wash their feet as soon as they walked in the house. You were expected to provide company so that they were never alone. In fact, in some cultures, if you left your guest alone, even to sleep at night, they would feel neglected. You were also expected to provide protection. While they were under your house, they were your responsibility. And we see this as a great picture of what God does for us. And it starts in uh, the commands that God gives the Jews... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. You shall love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then in Leviticus 19, 34, the alien who resides with you shall be to you as one born among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord God. So we see here that God is using this command of hospitality to help remind his people of what he did for them when he brought them out of Egypt. They were strangers in that land that was not their home, and he took care of them while he was there and then brought them back out. Now, you ask, what does that have to do with us? Well, we'll see in Scripture today that God, the ultimate host provides all of these and so much more through various stages in our lives. We'll start in Luke chapter 5, 
Go to verse 27, if you will, please. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. <clears throat> now, one of the things that our camp pastor, Pastor Tony Morita, said, and I, I read this up and I kind of looked at it myself. He said, the book of Luke, Jesus is either at a table, going to a table, or coming from a table. He spent a lot of time at the table. He spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom and teaching the kingdom to people around the table. A lot of that has to do with the fact that we kind of memorize things and remember things to food. But he was with them as they were taking care of the physical needs while giving them the spiritual need as well. And that is ultimately his goal, and it should ultimately be our goal. So Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, tax collectors are among the most despised people in Jewish culture. I mean, really, who wants to give part of their hard-earned money to the government? I don't. Just saying. <clears throat> it would be like a member of the IRS walking up and calling you today and saying, Hey, we need to talk. Sweat starts breaking out. You start trying to avoid them. Well, that was the tax collectors of the day. Except these guys were known for extorting from everybody. They had a lot of money because they were known for taking two of what they were supposed to take. One for them, one for Rome. So if you owed 20 denarii, you'd end up paying 40, and he'd take 20, and he'd give 20 to Rome. If he gave the 20 to Rome, for that matter. <clears throat> So, sitting at the tax office, and he, Jesus, said to Levi, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus had no physical appearance that would really draw us to him. But we see repeatedly in the scriptures that Christ would walk up to someone, and he would say, follow me, and they would drop what they were doing, and they would follow him. And that's a pretty amazing thing, because if it wasn't for who I knew he was, I don't think I could have just dropped everything I had and followed him just because he walked up to me and said, follow me. These guys are pretty amazing. <clears throat> now, Levi gave a great feast in his own house. So basically, Levi said, hey, I've got something to celebrate. Let's throw a party. And in the party, he invited his friends, people that were like him other tax collectors, um, other despised people in the Jewish culture. Why? Because the rest of the people wouldn't normally attend his dinner table. So he invited the people he knew to introduce them to this man who he had just dropped everything for to follow. <clears throat> and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him, verse 29... Going on into verse 30. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained, big surprise there, against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat, with, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? As I said, it's not surprising that the religious people who said something, they're the ones who would be most likely to complain about what Christ was doing. Because he would, he would go and spend time with the downtrodden and the outcast. He would literally eat with them. He would dine with them. He would commune with them. And in their, you can almost hear in their whiny voice, 
well, why are you doing this? Because if you're eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors, well, you must be a sinner too. You can, I, you can almost hear it. And we hear it today in our own culture. We hear it today in, from the people who want to try to ignore the lost. And they want to ignore the people who aren't like them. And Jesus answered unto them and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, I have come to call the sinners to repentance. So we see a picture of salvation with Levi dropping everything he had, taking up what Christ was offering, and then introducing Christ to his friends. And in that picture, we also see Jesus acknowledging their right to be in his presence. So one of the first things we see from the table is ultimately salvation. When we come to the table, we're accepting Christ. We're accepting his gift for us. But then we also see that he is going to acknowledge, he's going to accept, and he's going to defend our ability to come to him and to come dine at that table. Okay. So I started thinking, and I'm sure many of you may be thinking now also, that was Levi. He was inviting his friends... But me, most of my friends, most of my close acquaintances are Christians. They're good people. They are not the uh, disrespected type of person. So what do I do? I don't know any of those people. Well, Christ has a separate command for us. If you would please turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. And he also said to him who had invited him, When you give a supper or a dinner, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, if I had any of those, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus is instructing us, encouraging us, not to invite others that can give back to us now, but to people that we may even normally ignore. I know I don't normally look for people that are downtrodden. I don't normally look for the people that are maimed and broken myself. Just being real. I usually look for people like me. But he encourages us, he instructs us to invite these people into our homes. It is our responsibility to bring people to his table who normally would not be part of our sphere of influence. How do we do that? Well, first off, we need to leave our comfort zones. You've got that strange person at work who you probably don't talk to invite him to church we have an agape feast downstairs today i hope everyone attends be a great time to invite someone who's never been to church to church if they don't want to come to the service say hey 11 30 12 o'clock meet us downstairs 
Invite them into your own home. Go to them and talk to them where they're at. Go to where they are comfortable and meet them at their level. That's just a few of the small things we can do. There are probably hundreds of ways to introduce ourselves and to get other people in. You do not need to be a theologian, a pastor, or a Bible scholar to tell people about Jesus and what he has done for you. All you need is a story. Your story of what Christ has done for you is enough to get people interested. It's enough to get people saved. I have seen people, I've watched it with my own eyes, listen to one person's testimony and accept Christ right there. All it takes is your testimony. There is nothing wrong, let me throw this out there, with inviting your friends to dinner. But we can lose sight of our mission if we do that too often. One of my favorite lessons during camp was Thursday night. And Pastor Tony talked about the parable of the prodigal son. But he changed the wording just a little bit, and he called it the parable of the two sons. Most of us have read it. We know it. We understand that there are two people involved here, really three people. So we'll go through this quickly. I won't spend a whole lot of time here. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32 is the scripture we'll be going through here real quick. The parable of the two sons. One son is a rebellious teenager probably because i know when i was a teenager i was nothing but a rebellious and we'll stop there the other son is probably the older son and he is the religious one of the two but pastor tony points out that both sons are equally lost so the first son goes to his father and very hurtfully says i want what's coming to me I'm going to leave. I'm going out on my own. I want the money that I'm going to get when you die. I can only imagine what the father thought when his son demanded this. But the father did it. And as we read in the scriptures, um, let's. I don't know that verse right off the top of my head. Um, Probably verse 12. Yes. So he divided to them his livelihood. He divided to them. He divided to both sons right then. Not just the first son, but to both of them. His livelihood. And then the younger son leaves. As we all know, he goes away and lives a life of total recklessness and debauchery. I love that word getting into all sorts of trouble. And I'm sure for a while, he was probably the most famous and well-known and liked person in his group right there. Because he was probably picking up everybody's bar tabs. And there's no quicker way to earn friends among the lost than go pay for their food and their drink and what they're doing to get in trouble, probably. But, as life has a way of doing, his money dried up. His money dried up so bad that he ended up selling himself into slavery and is feeding pigs. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish law and Jewish culture, pigs are very bad. 
Pigs are considered an unclean animal. They're not edible for food. You're not even supposed to be around them. And yet here he is, slopping pig uh, so that they can eat. And he's looking at this thinking, that looks good. How, how far do you have to sink before you're looking at pig slop thinking, well, that looks yummy. <sighs> That'd be like me and ramen. I don't like ramen. I would have to be really hungry to look at ramen and say, ooh, that looks good. God forbid I ever get that hungry. (laughs) So eventually, uh, he realizes this, and he kind of steps downwind of himself. He gets a real good whiff of what he's become and who he is. And he comes up with a plan. Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19 reads, but he came to himself. He woke up. He had that awe moment. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's a pretty profound statement. He finally realizes how bad he is, and he's willing to accept just being a servant in his father's house. But he acknowledges to himself right off the bat, as soon as he realizes what's going on, that he has sinned. He acknowledges that, and he's willing to make things right, if at all possible. But here's where things kind of get interesting. As usual, the father has his own plan. But when he was still a great way off, continuing on in verse 19 and 20, Father had compassion, he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now that statement, he ran, is pretty profound. Because it was unmentionable for a grown man to be running in Jewish culture at this time. They were not supposed to run. But we see a picture of him hiking up his... uh, skirts for lack of a better term and running after his son and it almost it gives us the picture that he was looking for his son to return he was waiting he was sitting on the city walls probably waiting for that one person to come down the road that was his son and as soon as he saw him he didn't wait for his son to get into the city he didn't wait for his son to get part way he took off running and here his son was We don't know how long traveling on the road after having slopping pigs and taking care of pigs. He's probably nasty and smelly, filthy, probably nothing more than skin and bones. And yet the father falls on his neck and kisses him. Now, if it had been my dad, he might have been nice to me at first. And the comment would have been, you go sit in your room and I'll meet with you in a minute. After I had gotten to the house. I love my father, don't get me wrong, I had a great dad. But this is not the reaction I would have had from my earthly father. But this is the reaction we see from our heavenly father. And he starts to make his statement. He starts to give his speech that he has probably recited and practiced on the road. Father, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father does not even let him finish his phrase. 
But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, bring out the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and be merry for my son was dead and alive again. He is lost and is found and they began to be merry. So the father sees this, he sees his son, he greets his son and then he tells the servants, let's get ready for a party. Let's get ready for a party. Let's go kill the fatted calf and let's go make merry. This is my kind of party. The the son was lost. He was dead. He was gone. And now he is found again. Coming back to the table. Again, another picture of repentance and salvation. Now the older son, on the other hand, is doing what was expected of him. He was out in the field working. He hears the the music, the bass is thumping and the music is blaring. He hears the people laughing and having a good time. Probably saw the fatted calf being carried out of the corral, wondering what's going on. And he goes up to the house and he asks one of the servants, what's going on? And he finds out that the younger brother has showed back up. And the father is throwing him a party. And the older son gets angry. Verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been with you, serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother comes home, but this son of yours has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Um, Remember the dinner with Levi? And the scribes and the Pharisees complaining that you're eating with sinners? We see a picture of a rebellious son who repents and a religious son who is just as lost... And the story doesn't end with him repenting and joining the party. The story tells us that you can be just as lost in the church as you can be in the world. You see, the worldly son repents, but not the religious son. Maybe it's easier to repent if you're coming in from the world than if you've grown up and been in the church for a while. Same God can save anybody. You can come to the table either way, but you still have to make that choice. You have to decide for yourself. Finally, we'll get a complete picture of what God does for us in Psalm 23. Psalms 23. Probably the best known psalm in the Bible. We'll go through this real quick and then I will finish up. We're almost there, I promise. I can almost smell the food from downstairs. Anybody else hungry yet? I know you guys are always hungry. I want to talk about people eating. These teenagers can put some food away. I'm glad that it was a buffet at camp, because otherwise I'm not sure what they would have done. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. A.K.A. you acknowledge who he is and you have accepted him. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He provides everything we need. Food, water, peace, grace. He guides you down straight lines filled with light because it gives him honor. Because what kind of God would we serve if he couldn't protect his people? But he does. And people see that and it honors him. And they come to know him from what we go through and how we deal with things and how he takes care of us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of a shadow of death. When this phrase was read during camp, I was like, wait a minute, you just said you're going to lead us down... And then God spoke to me real quick and said, you choose to go down those dark paths. And that phrase can literally be translated, deep, dark places. So when I choose to avoid his direction, and I enter the deep, dark places, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And I love the way Pastor Tony put this. You will fear no evil. You have nothing to fear. Why? Because Jesus is packing. His rod and his staff. The rod is a picture of his gentle guidance. And the staff is him basically when the wolf comes, turning that dude upside down and making it a baseball bat. He will nudge you and he will guide you. And then he will protect you when he needs to. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Literally. He stops you, and in the very middle of every trouble, trial, situation you're going through, every group of people that are wanting to kill you, he drops the table. Not just any table, but a massive feasting table filled with every type of delicious and sweet meat and food that you can think of, that the angels can think of. I'd be willing to bet even a few that you can't even think of. And he pulls the chair out. Invites you to sit down right there in the midst of everything that's going on in life. And you are welcome to enjoy this spread before you and enjoy his presence. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Literally, your cup is not big enough for all that he wants to give you. But that doesn't stop him, he just keeps pouring And you can't drink it fast enough. You can't empty that cup fast enough. It is just all over the place. But that's okay. It's not like when you're a little kid and your mom gets mad at you because you spilled your drink. This is okay. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the next life. You see, the Father asks us for nothing. The Father asks us to do nothing that He doesn't do Himself. He asks us to take care of travelers and strangers by inviting them to our table, providing for their needs, but at the same time, He's doing that for us in ways that we can't even imagine, in ways that we don't deserve Whether you think that stranger deserves it or not, the instruction is still there. Whether you think you deserve it or not, his invitation is still there. 
God will provide food, water, company, protection. He invites us to his table no matter what. There is no sin that you can do that will get you disqualified from God's presence. He even sent Jesus to make a way for us to join him at the table. All we have to do is sit down and accept. That's the only thing stopping us, is our unwillingness to do that. The good news, the gospel, is that we can come to God's table, we can enjoy everything he has for us, salvation, grace, growth, eternity, if we accept. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. But then he said to me, an angel talking to John, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come to the table. Accept his invitation. 